Back when I used to preach every Sunday, I wore a suit and tie. Well, I got in the closet this morning, started trying shirts on, and the next that all my shirts have shrunk. So I don't know what the deal is. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 17 to 33. The title of my message this morning is, Why Communion? There was a church that had an unusual ritual every Sunday morning. Before the church sang the doxology, they'd stand up, everybody turned to the right, facing a blank white wall. Then they sang. Every Sunday without fail, they did this. A newcomer to the church, kind of confused and said, why are you guys doing this? Nobody could answer him. All they could say is, we've always done it this way. That answer didn't satisfy the newcomer. Then other people started asking the same question. Finally, an elderly man in the church, he'd gone to the church for years. He remembered the reason why. Seems at one time they didn't have hymnals, and the words to the song were painted on the wall. Well, over the years, the words faded. The wall was repainted numerous times, and no one remembered the significance for standing and turning to the wall. Many times we end up doing things for the wrong or for unknown reasons, because nobody ever stopped to ask why. We develop habits and traditions, sometimes because that's the way we've always done it. I can tell you that I grew up in, we'll call a rural, independent Christian church. We took communion every Sunday. Over the years, I heard people complaining about it's, it's routine. It's not special. With that in mind, we're going to look at why we take communion. Jesus started it all. I don't mean sound like sound like a little kid back when, you know, well, Jimmy started it. But Jesus did. The origins of communion come from Jesus. In, in fact, communion is also called the Lord's Supper because of the fact that Jesus started it. Paul writes in First Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God, who created us, knows we don't have the greatest of memories. Throughout the entire Bible, we see that God was always setting up memorials for his people. Whenever a significant event would happen, the patriarchs would build an altar. When the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River, they set 12 stones to serve as a memorial to that event. 
Whenever their children walked by and saw the stones, the parents could tell them about God's miraculous entrance for them into the promised land. A significant memorial for the Israelites was Passover. Passover was a meal celebrated to remember their deliverance from Egypt and what God had done. During the meal, they would eat bitter herbs to remind them of their years in slavery. They would also eat honey to remind them of how good the Lord is. It was during this celebration that Jesus met with his disciples and started the Lord's Supper. The primary purpose of communion is a symbolic reminder of Christ's death. Two times in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus said, To do this in remembrance of me. We've all been frustrated or embarrassed at times by forgetting something. And I can tell you, the older I get, the more I forget. It's embarrassing when somebody knows you by name, but you can't remember their name. We need reminders. If the memory of a bad car accident stayed in our minds perfectly, we'd probably never get back in a car. If the memory of failure didn't fade, we might not ever be willing to try again. If the memory of a loved one that died didn't fade a little with time, we never forget them. But if some of the immediate pain did not leave us, the grief would be unbearable. I want to tell you a quick story about a guy that a few years back got a phone call saying that his son had hung himself. It was a rough phone call. He wasn't sure how to handle it. The son was on life support. And I want to tell you that phone call was made to me. I mean, the only person in this church that knows that is my wife, of course. But I lost a son at 33. He hung himself. And I had to make the decision about taking him off the machine because he he would never come back. But I can tell you that God has helped me with the pain. We never forget, but the pain does ease over time. And I pray to God no one in this congregation ever has to deal with that. The Lord's Supper, it's the most meaningful memorial ever established. You can see the wisdom of God written all over it. It's so simple, but it's so important. It's vividly symbolic. The unleavened bread reminds us of Christ's sinless body. The juice is blood-colored and easily reminds us of the blood shed for our sins. It's interactive. It's not just something we look at. It's something that we do. Communion is so much more than a religious tradition. It's more than a mid-service snack. It's a memorial, a picture of remembrance. It focuses our hearts and minds on Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time you and I eat the Lord's Supper, 
It's a sermon without words, a sermon about the cross. Jesus left us with a picture so we would never forget. Another reason we take communion is because it demonstrates the unity of the church. Everyone here in this church has their own expertise in what they do in their everyday life. I'm an electrician, have been for 21 years, but I don't know much about cars or a little bit about farming or painting or playing musical instruments. And it's not always be easy being around people that are better at something than you are. It's even worse when it seems like a person is better at being a Christian than you are. But I can tell you the Lord's Supper erases all of that. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Listen to what Paul told the church starting in verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. In the Corinthian culture, it was common practice to show favoritism at mealtimes. Those who were higher on the social and economic ladder got to go first, oftentimes leaving nothing for those who weren't rich or prestigious. And the Christians at Corinth had allowed this practice to creep into the church. The haves were jumping ahead of the have-nots. So Paul encouraged them in verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. He instructed them to wait for each other because when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we're all on the same level. Social and economic distinctions disappear. Our spiritual inferiority complexes disappear as well. Jesus died for each of us because we are all sinners who are hopelessly lost except for the grace of God. That's what we remember at the Lord's Supper. A brand new Christian and a believer of 50 years are on the same level at the Lord's Supper. It's level ground at the foot of the cross. In fact, listen to verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread... And drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Communion requires self-examination. Communion forces us to be real with God. It's in self-examination that we realize none of us are worthy to take communion. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. But we are sinners 
saved by God's grace. And because of that grace shown to us, we are now part of Christ's body, the church. I'm of the opinion when Paul talks about recognizing the body of the Lord, he's referring to it in two ways. First of all, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. This is why we have the emblems. But secondly, we are to remember our fellow members of Christ's church, the body of Christ. Remember what was going on in Corinth during this time. They were not considering each other's needs. There were divisions in the church. If you have a problem with someone in the church, you need to work things out before you take communion. Otherwise, you're not recognizing the body of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5:23, "Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift." Let me summarize this by saying that in my opinion here are the times you should not take communion. If you're not a Christian and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Savior, this is a meaningless meal to you. If there's someone in your life you haven't forgiven, if you are not truly trying to forgive someone who has wronged you, then maybe you need to take care of that first. If you're totally distracted or irritated, if you're thinking more about what you have to do this afternoon, if you're worried about beating the crowd to the restaurant, then let's let the tray pass on by. We need to focus on the body and blood of Christ during communion. If we're distracted, then it's probably time to just pass it on by and take it later. I mentioned earlier that I grew up taking communion weekly. Some people ask, why do you want to take it every week? I want to ask why you don't want to take it every week. Communion is a time when I rededicate myself to Christ. Communion reminds me that God is God and I am not. Communion reminds me of the sacrifice that was made for me and you. Communion reminds me of God's love and grace for a sinner like me. Communion reminds me that Jesus is the bread of life, and he's preparing a table for us to fellowship forever. We are promised a seat at that table. When we come to worship, there needs to be time when we want to shout and shout for joy. But there also needs to be the times when we are still so quiet you can hear a pin drop. Just to know that he is God. There was a man named Robert Tinsky. He was raised in Judaism. Dissatisfied spiritually, he visited a Christian church for the first time, seeking some religious truth. He was amazed by the observance of the Lord's Supper. He didn't understand it. He asked some young people seated near him. What does this mean? They faithfully told him the gospel story as portrayed 
in the loaf and the cup. He was amazed that there was a God who loved humankind enough to give his son to die for us. And at the wisdom that originated such a living memorial, he became a Christian and a faithful preacher of the gospel. When we share in communion, we are celebrating a relationship with the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, by taking seriously his own words on the night before he died. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God has spoken about our worship through the Lord's Supper. Let's all turn our energy and attention on him. Let the shadow of the cross fall over your every thought as we prepare to commune with our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today humbly, giving all praise and glory to your name and thanking you for the gift of your son, the sacrifice that was made for each one of us, and celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming back and we'll all have a seat at that table. Let us examine our hearts, examine our minds before we partake in this meal as a body. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Darla.